0: that way I didn't have to fight with the mask watch Darren up there he gave me a little tutorial (laughs) so good news I'm a little bit nervous and I've been told when I get nervous I speak more quickly so the more nervous I am the quicker you get lunch (laughs) so good news Uh, Today, uh, we're going to be reading out of John 3, uh, verses 22 to 36. I'll be reading out of the ESV version, just so you know, if it doesn't match up with your version. You can follow along in any version. I just pick ESV because it's my favorite. Um, Okay. So I'm going to just start with verse 22. After this... Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John was also baptizing at Anan, near Salem, because water was plentiful there, and people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. I think this sets up the scene quite nicely. We see this area with a large body of water, and on one side you have Jesus and his disciples baptizing, on the other side you have John and his disciples baptizing. And uh, I think the, the author does a really good job of also putting it into context. So we see this is before John has gone to prison. But I also think that's a bit of foreshadowing. It's showing that John's ministry is coming to an end. Now, verse 25. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. So this says they had a discussion, but I think what's really important to know here is that a rabbi or a teacher wasn't just somebody you went to talk to on a weekend or something. When somebody chose their teacher or the rabbi, it was their livelihood. They uprooted and they followed this teacher around. They lived with them, they learned from them, and the status of the rabbi also reflected on the status of the student. So the greater the rabbi, the greater the student. So these students are coming to their rabbi and being like, that guy over there is stealing all of our fame. Like, he's, he's getting all the, all the glory. What about you? If you're not great, we're not great. You've got to tell us why we're greater and tell this Jew who's coming along, doing his shopping, should I get baptized over there or should I get baptized over here? Explain to him why you're the right choice. Um, I think in a lot of ways... We can relate with this if you're a a truck person. So if you drive a pickup truck, maybe you're a Dodge guy, and you identify as a Dodge guy. So you drive your Dodge, and you make fun of people with Fords. Or maybe you're a GM guy. You drive around in your GM, and you make fun of people in Fords. Or maybe you're a Ford driver, and you drive a Ford. (laughs) We all kind of identify with that, and we want to defend our personal choice. So we'll go into details about stuff like the, the mileage it gets, the um, towing capacity, the size of the engine, uh, whether it's diesel or gas, those kind of things, because we want to prove to someone that ours is the right choice. I love what John does here, because John kind of, he does two things. First of all, he changes their perspective, and then he flips the argument on his head. So in verse 27, John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. So they're there trying to prove that their rabbi or their ministry is greater. And John says, it's not about you. It's not your ministry. It's not how great you become or how great this baptism has become. You only have what God has given you. So it's not even a competition because you're not competing in this. Next, verse 28 to 30. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The The one who has the bride is the bridegroom, the friend of the bridegroom, Who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. John recognizes that even though his disciples want him to be the main show, that is not his purpose. Just like at a wedding, the best man is not the reason we go to a wedding. We don't go to a wedding to see the best man, do we? That would be kind of ridiculous. You go there to see the bride and the groom, or the bridegroom. We don't go to celebrate how awesome the best man is. The best man's job is to show up and to announce people and to turn people's eyes to the bridegroom and to the bride, not to bring his own glory up. In the same way, John is saying that he's like the best man. His purpose is not there to be the center of attention. He came before Jesus to announce to the world that Jesus was coming. And now being second fiddle can feel a little bit sad. Like we we want to have some attention and stuff. But John's saying that it's just like at a wedding. You're not sad that you were chosen as the best man and people aren't focusing on you you celebrate because one of your best friends is getting married, and that's pretty awesome. So, John's purpose, he's not sad that his ministry is lesser than Jesus's. He's excited because he got to be a part of it, and he gets to point people to Jesus and to Jesus's ministry. Now, with this, I often wonder, In my life, am I the main character of my story? Am I the protagonist? It's so easy to think, in the conversations we have and stuff, you talk about how you've been doing that day, or what you've been up to, or what you're going to do the next week, or how the weather is, or that I drive a Chevy, and it's not a Ford. (laughs) We go through all these things about us. But I wonder if what we should be doing is, in every conversation, trying to make Jesus the protagonist of our story. And that's kind of a weird thought. But what would it look like if you had a conversation and the other person left that conversation, being like, wow, Jesus is good, or, hmm, that was an interesting thought about Jesus. Wouldn't that change our conversations a lot when everything we say puts us as the announcer for how great God is? how much glory God deserves. Verse 31. He who comes from above is above all things. He who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. So John's disciples are asking for evidence of why John is better. And John straight up tells them, He's not. Right now, he's essentially, I love this part, because John lays out like a resume the qualifications of each contendant, right? On one side, you have John, who is from the earth and can only speak about God from an earthly perspective. He has a very limited view. On the other side, you have Jesus, who comes from heaven and can speak about God from a place of authority that no one else can. It's completely unparalleled. Like, there's no competition. But verse 32, I think, is quite tragic. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. So I think it's not a coincidence that this takes place right after what Darren preached last week. I think these two stories were put together on purpose. So Nicodemus is this great teacher, and he wants to find out about God. And he spent his whole life studying the Word, searching to find who God is, but he's only able to see it from an earthly perspective, where Jesus is offering unparalleled access to God a level of understanding and knowledge, but even Nicodemus, who's a teacher who should be listening, comes to him at night because he doesn't want to be lowered in status. He doesn't want to be seen differently. So he sneaks in at night to ask these questions, and then he doesn't even want to accept it. So the people who seek God the most aren't even willing to listen to the only person who has the authority to speak about God. And I think that's... That's heartbreaking. Now, I think John might be saying nobody as a a way of making a point, because in the very next verse, he explains people who do listen to the testimony. So in verse 33, whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. When you accept that what Jesus Christ is saying is true, you accept what God is saying is true. Because Jesus is speaking the very words of God. He was sent to speak the words of God. And so by accepting his truth, you accept and that you agree and you put your seal on that what God says is true. Now, verse 35 and 36, I think, create a a challenging conclusion, but I also think it ties this story and the previous story together with a lot more clarity and a lot of understanding. Um, For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the spirit without measure. The father loves the son and has given all things into his hands. Whoever believes in the son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So throughout this passage, there's been two baptisms compared. There's the baptism of John and the baptism of Jesus. And John says in Uh, John 1, that his baptism is like a man wandering through the wilderness shouting, make straight your paths. We see that in Matthew as well. John talks about coming before to make announcements like a bride, or like a best man. His job was to come before and let people know what was coming. Jesus' baptism, on the other hand, we know is about salvation, about saving people from their sins. And I think we get a lot of clarity in uh, John three fourteen. It talks about as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Uh, Darren went back and explained that from Numbers 21. About how all these serpents were sent into the camp. And uh, the people cried out. Uh, we've spoken against you, God. We've sinned. And so God gives... Tells Moses to build a staff with a bronze serpent and lifts it up. And if people turn their eyes to the, the serpent, then they are saved from their death. Um, in verse thirty-six here it says, "Whoever does not obey the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him." So we know that the punishment of the sin of Israel was death from the serpents, and we know the punishment of. Our sin is death. That's all we deserve. We don't deserve anything more than that. And I think that John's baptism represents, as Israel realized they were sinners and called out to God. John is telling people to make straight their paths, to recognize that they are sinners. John's baptism doesn't bring salvation, are the, the, the turning to God and yelling, "I am a sinner." doesn't save you from your sin. What saves you is the baptism of Jesus Christ. And uh, when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, he talks about how he must also be raised up that people might turn to him and find salvation, just like that serpent. So I think Jesus' baptism is a baptism of repentance, turning away from your sin. And when, if you're looking at your sin and you turn away, you're turning to something else, right? Repentance is turning away. So, what do you turn to? You turn to Jesus Christ on the cross. I think, in the same way that God gave a way out from the, the certain death of the bite of the serpent, God gave us a way out of the certain death of our sin by turning our eyes to Jesus Christ. The the baptism of John is something that we need to recognize. We need to first recognize that we are sinners. Um, Until we recognize we are sinners, we don't recognize that we are lost, that we have no salvation, that we can't do it on our own. Um, When we try and find salvation by following the law, by following the rules, uh, we can never achieve that. We'll never live up to that standard, as Nicodemus found out. You can never live up to that standard. The baptism of Jesus Christ, though, all we do is we we repent and we turn to Jesus. And like it said earlier, everything we have is what was given to us from heaven. That's not just our daily lives. That's our salvation. We don't get our salvation because of an action of our own. It's because we turn to Jesus Christ and he offers us that gift. And I wonder sometimes if we try too hard to fulfill John's baptism and we don't appreciate enough that Jesus has already done it in our lives. Heavenly Father. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for sending your son for us. All we deserve is death. And yet, we cried out, and you gave us a way out. You gave us your one and only son, the only one who has authority to speak about you, the only one who knows you truly. You gave your son so that we might look upon him and repent. And have salvation, Lord. And I thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen.